Marine, what is that button on your body armor? A peace symbol, sir. Where'd you get it? I don't remember, sir. What is that you've got written on your helmet? Born to kill, sir. You write born to kill on your helmet and you wear a peace button. What's that supposed to be, some kind of sick joke? No, sir. What is it supposed to mean? I don't know, sir. You don't know very much, do you? No, sir. You better get your head and your ass wired together or I will take a giant shit on you. Yes, sir. Now answer my question or you'll be standing tall before the man. I think I was trying to suggest something about the duality of man, sir. The what? The duality of man, the Jungian thing, sir. Whose side are you on, son? Our side, sir. Don't you love your country? Yes, sir. Then how about getting with the program? Why don't you jump on the team and come on in for the big win? Welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And guess what? He's back from his mission of mercy to help Mike Pence with the coronavirus response. I bring you Teal. (coughs) Oh no. (coughs) Oh no. (laughs) A little stick there. Coronavirus. uh, Yeah, it's going great. We got got it totally under control here. And you and you can go back to work, right? If you have it, I'm back at work right now. <laughs> right now, gonna, right. Gotta be fun. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, we podcast more than six feet away from each other, many miles away. Yes, <laughs> though the goal always has been for you, the listener, to not know, to think that we're in the same room. That was always our goal at the beginning. We weren't quite sure we pulled it off, but no. over time, we figured it out. And now it, uh, you know, sometimes I think we're in the same room. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we've got I, – I think we're practically – I'm sure – this is what I'm more fascinated now. This is what we're right. going off on a tangent bore people is that <laughs> I, I often wonder now – I'm a little mic crazy. Like I realized there are differences in mics and the mic that we got to use uh, – and we both have the same mic, correct? Yeah. Uh, is different from the mics we started with and there is a difference. There is a big, <laughs> big difference. Yeah. So now I start to wonder, ooh, I wonder what other mics would give me a different sound <laughs> and stuff. But anyways um, – all right, so uh, we're not going to rehash last week, which was a you know not it's not a disaster. I think it was a good episode, but it it, it really is something that I do not want to try to do. Right, uh, you know. But again, you were helping uh, Mike Pence, and what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. So, anyways, uh, the last time you and I uh, joined forces, we talked about our top ten uh, films of the year. Yep, for 2019. Yep. Uh, yes, and uh, then we said we would do top 10 of the decade uh, this yes. time around, which is what we're going to do. But I wanted to start off with something that uh, is also a leftover from the last episode the two of us did. Okay. You said that you were not an Academy Award completionist. Correct. And you kind of said that you really didn't see a lot of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, like, you know, in like the 50s and 60s, et cetera. Right. Okay. Well, I don't buy it. (laughs) Do not buy it. So guess what? (laughs) I have before me the list of all of the Best Picture nominees 
Oh, okay. From 1960 through 1969. Okay. And we're going to go through and we're going to test to just see, and I'm sure I'm going to keep you on the honor system. You're not going to lie. If you haven't, right. if you've seen a movie, you're not going to see you haven't, right? Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to go through and- Wait, are these winners or all the nominees? No, they're the nominees. Okay. We're not going to spend like hours. We're just going to go through and maybe mention, but I think it's also going to be eye-opening because I'm sure you don't know a lot of those films were even nominated for Best Picture. And I'm sure that any listener out there might not also be familiar. And it's kind of like, oh, I didn't realize that was nominated for Best Picture. Maybe I should see it. Okay, starting with 1960, here were the nominees for Best Picture. The John Wayne-directed classic, The Alamo. Never saw it. Really? Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, never saw it. Okay. The Apartment. Seen it. And it won Best Picture that year. Yes. Elmer Gantry. Never saw it. What? Yep. That's ridiculous. Sons and Lovers. Never saw it. What? (laughs) It's ridiculous. And The Sundowners. Uh, Yes, I saw it. And that's the one that I said I hadn't seen, but I know I've seen, I I think it was, I watched it not really paying attention. It was on TV and I just kind of, it really wasn't getting my attention. Now, uh, just going to shuffling some papers here, but interesting. And I always find this interesting, uh, especially in the days when there was only five nominees, the directors quite often that branch picked probably better better choices than something like the Alamo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, yeah. So many of those best picture films are, they please everyone kind of, or, or don't please anyone at the same time. Yeah. Or they got, they got bought back then, like the studios yeah. would buy them lunches and kind of put a gun to their head and said, you're exactly. going to vote for this, right? Yeah. Uh, but so sometimes when you see somebody nominated for director that year, it reminds you of, oh my God, that movie wasn't nominated for best picture. So here, right. just in quick comparison, Billy Wilder, The Apartment, he also won yeah. Best Director that year. Jack Cardiff, Sons and Lovers, that's why I can't believe okay. he didn't see it. He didn't direct yeah. very many movies, but he did that. Uh, Jules Dassan, Never on Sunday. Okay. Alfred Hitchcock for Psycho. Wow. Yes. Okay. Alamo, Alamo was nominated for Best Picture <laughs> that year, but Psycho was not. And then Fred Zinnemann for The Sundowners. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to move along. And now 1961, Fanny. Never saw it. I have. You haven't seen it. Okay. Guns of the Navarone. Seen it. Also, that was nominated for Best Director, J. Lee Thompson. Uh, the Hustler. Seen it. Robert Rawson. And he was yeah. also nominated for Best Director. Judgment at Nuremberg. Uh, yes, I've seen it. Also nominated for Best Director, Stanley Creamer. And West Side Story. Yeah, I've seen that. Yep, and it won. And Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins, <laughs> the only duo ever to win Best Director. Okay, interesting, yeah. So Fanny was not nominated for Best Director. The Best Director that year that did get nominated, Federico Fellini for La Dolce Vita. Oh, okay, interesting. Very good choice. Yeah. All right, 1962, Lawrence of Arabia. I've seen it. Of course you have. (laughs) The Longest Day. Uh, I've seen it. Of course you have. The Music Man. (laughs) Never seen it. (laughs) Come on now. Never How could you've never seen it? Well, you really should watch it with your daughters. I, you know, I think I've seen parts of it on TV. It's like a classic. I, yeah, there's scenes from it that I know. I don't think I've ever really sat down and watched the whole thing, all the way through. I am kind of shocked. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. 
uh, never seen it. I know. That's the one we talked. I can't believe you never saw that movie. I, again, I, I have seen all of these films. Now, when it came to directors that year, Lawrence of Arabia nominated, Kill a Mockingbird right. nominated. However, those are the only two matches. Oh, you had, really? Yeah, you had three other films that were nominated for Best Director. A couple of them might have been even better choices than the ones for picture. Arthur Penn, The Miracle Worker. Oh, yeah. Frank Perry, David and Lisa. Never saw it. Man, you really aren't a completionist. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I was not joking. <laughs> well, that's what I need to find out. So Pietro Germi for Divorce Italian Style. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that movie. Yeah. You've seen it? Uh, no. I haven't either. <laughs> but I just was like, wait a minute. There's one he's seen. <laughs> okay. So 1963, America, America. I uh, never saw it. And that's the one That's the one film I have not seen. Not my best picture, Elia Kazan. Yeah. Yep. Cleopatra. Yeah, I saw that. Of yeah. course you did. Everybody did. That was not nominated <laughs> for Best Director, by the way. Uh, another one that year that was nominated for a picture that did not get nominated was uh, How the West Was Won. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Of course you have. Then you had Beckett. Never seen it. Oh, you know what? Some of these are, are, or the directors are out of order. Damn it. Oh, that no. That me. Yeah. Oh. Should we just pick this up on the next show? No. No. No, we... just the directors. Well, Tom Jones was 1963 okay. and that one best picture. Some of the nominees for- I've seen Tom Jones. And an eight and a half in 1963 was nominated for best director and Otto Preminger for The Cardinal and Martin uh -huh. Ritt for HUD. Which got a lot of nominations, but no Best Picture. It's kind of one of those. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a shock that it didn't. Yeah, it's a good movie. So 1964, looks like this one was almost like a one-to-one -one match. Nominees, My Fair Lady, Zorba the Greek. Never saw Be it. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Beckett? Yeah. You didn't see Beckett? No, I just said that a few minutes ago. Oh, my. Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, that's because I had it out of order. Dr. Strangelove. You've seen that, right? Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> and Mary Poppins. Yeah, I've seen that too. Okay. But, Those just, are... but just recently for the first time. All nominated for Best Director as well. Okay, 1965, Sound of Music. Yeah, I saw that. Dr. Shivago. Seen that. Darling. Seen that. Ship of Fools. Not seen it. It's terrible. Good. <laughs> Glad I missed it. <laughs> and A Thousand Clowns. M missed it. That's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, the mo the nominees for director, uh, Thousand Clowns wasn't nominated for director. The Collector by William Wyler was. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you didn't see it. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Hiroshi um, Teshigara's Woman in the Dunes. Oh, yeah. I never saw that. Yeah, I didn't either. Well, a lot of times the director's branch would nominate these foreign directors. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very. <laughs> uh, now, 1966 was another one where there was a big difference between the director's branch and then the main academy. Wait, are we going all the way to 2020? No, just to, just to the end of the 60s. Oh, oh this will be an installment for future. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, okay, I awesome. wanted to catch you by surprise with this yeah, one. Good, Don't good. worry. No, no, no. Because okay. I feel like in the 70s and 80s, you'll have seen most of those. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not some of them in the 70s, but, you know. But uh, definitely more of them. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in 1966, the nominees were Alfie. Yes. Yep. I've seen it. Okay. Man for All Seasons. Not seen it. Oh, come on now. That's like an all, that's a classic. You can't even get out of school without them showing you that. Like, I mean, yep. I'm talking high school. <laughs> I, uh, yep. I missed it. 
Wow, but that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. You I really should. Well, this yeah. is why I'm saying this. You got to put that one on your list. Out of all the ones, you got to put that one on okay. your list. It won Best Picture that year. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Yeah, I did not see it. That used to be on like uh, UHF all the time. Okay, okay. This one I know you have seen. The Sand Pebbles. Yes, I've definitely seen The Sand Pebbles. And then Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I've definitely seen that too. Now, for one-to-one matchups, yeah. A Man for All Seasons, Fred Zinneman, he won Best Director, okay. and it won Best Picture. Mike Nichols, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, nominated for Best Director. Now, the other three movies didn't get nominated for Best Director. Here's what did. Okay. Michelangelo and Tony Oni for Blow Up. Ah, uh-huh, interesting. Okay. Claude Lelouch for A Man and a Woman. Okay. Wow. I don't know. I don't know that movie. Yeah. And Richard Brooks for The Professionals. It's a Western. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that I, one, I mean, you must have seen that, I think right? I've seen that. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, but it's, oh boy, it's been a long time. I know. I'm jogging the memories. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to 1967. Okay. This, this is a key year because this is when everything started to change. You really started to see the, the young guard come in. Right. Books have been written about 1967 as a year for film. It was right after they ended uh, vertical integration of the studios. Yes, and it's really what uh, sort of necessitated the rating system. Yes. So I think you'll have seen all of these films. I will prove you wrong. Bonnie and Clyde. I've seen it. Okay. That was also nominated for Best Director. Yeah. Dr. Doolittle. Never seen it. The studio heavily made people like uh, basically, you know, had secretaries filling it out, uh, had luncheons, et cetera. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, that's the thing is where you didn't watch a lot of movies as a kid on TV and they used to show that. So that's the only time I've seen it in full is when I was a kid. It was horrible. Yeah. I've heard it's horrible. And the new one apparently is horrible. (laughs) It's something about that title. Uh, The Graduate. Yeah, I've seen that. Yes, that <laughs> that uh, that was also nominated for best director, and it won best director. One of the few times that the best picture of the year did not win best director. Oh, okay, back then. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Yep, saw that. That's kind of a that's a very dated movie. It is an extremely dated movie. Yeah. And then in the heat of the night. Oh, nice. Okay. That was uh, Norman Jewison, yep. and uh, he won Best Picture but didn't win Best Director. Okay. And instead, I, for some reason, the, the director's branch wasn't uh, wasn't enamored with Dr. Doolittle. So instead of <laughs> that person getting uh, the director nod, it was Richard Brooks again. He was oh. kind of hot. The In Cold Blood. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a good movie. Would have been a much better choice for Best Picture, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably would have been. <laughs> I know. That's no. what always shocks me is when you <laughs> look at like, I mean, Dr. Doolittle, that's, everybody always likes to pick on like, uh, uh, what's that movie, uh, cr- Crash? <laughs> and right, I'm like, right. I'm like, I'll take the Crash challenge with Dr. Doolittle <laughs> any day. Um, okay, 1968. This one, this one's good because of uh, one, one major omission in Best Picture. Okay. Um, here are your 1968 nominees. Funny Girl? Never Robert seen Stry- it. With Barbara Streisand, yeah, really? I never, I never saw it. Yeah, you don't like the musicals, I guess. Well, <laughs> I, I was, was like a big one over at my grandma's house when I was a kid. Yeah, see, nobody in my family liked musicals. Well, I guess not. And so I just, yeah, like my mother can't stand them. So well, that well, you know, your your parents are your influences. So <laughs> well, they certainly weren't taking me out to see any of those movies. That's true. Okay, yeah. so you you didn't see Funny Girl, but you've got to seen The Lion and Winter. Yes, yes. It's, it's great. Uh, Oliver. 
Uh, never. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I have seen. Okay. Like there's a, there's musicals and then there's musicals. And if you haven't seen Oliver, I I have seen Oliver. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, Rachel, Rachel. Never saw it. Do you know what that is? No. So Paul Newman made it. It stars his wife. Oh. Okay. That's ringing a bell now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird movie. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Um, Okay. So it's something that if it comes on, maybe like, I feel like I could pop on Criterion sometime. I would check it out again. Okay. Interesting. And then Romeo and Juliet. Zeffirelli's? Zeffirelli. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, of course. So directors that year, Carol Reed, he won for Oliver. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Harvey for The Lion in Winter. Franco Zeffirelli for Romeo and Juliet. The other two were uh, not. So The Lion in Winter did not get nominated for Best Director, which is a little surprising. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Lion in the Winter, Anthony Harvey. Yes, right. did. There were two that did not. Um, and here's who got nominated instead. Great choices, by the way. <laughs> uh, Gilo Pontecorvo for The Battle of Algiers. Oh, yeah. That movie okay. is one of the all-time greats, right? Yep, yep. And then here's the big omission. Nominated for Best Director, but not Best Picture. Stanley Kubrick for 2001 <laughs> A Space Odyssey. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. How the Academy uh, <laughs> blew wow. that one. <laughs> they made they made room for Rachel Rachel. Right. But not but... <laughs> for 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is the one that most people haven't seen, Rachel Rachel. Yeah, if they've even heard of it, right? I mean, 2001 is, is an... It's a classic. It's, it's, it's a classic. It's, yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> if you looked at this whole list, a lot of the key movies from the decade did make these lists. But, I mean, 2001 is one of the quintessential <laughs> films. So at least they got the directors got it right. They understood. Um, okay. So now the last year that we're going to do is yeah. 1969. Here were the nominees. Uh, Anne of the Thousand Days. Never saw it. Oh, man, that's a good one too. That should be a double feature with The Man for All Seasons because okay. it kind of covers the same territory but a little okay. different. So that's that's one. And then Midnight Cowboy. Yep, seen that. Z. Yep, Costa Gavras. Yes. Yeah. And um, Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, see. Now, here are, the, <laughs> here are the nominees for director. Midnight Cowboy, and it won. Yes. Z, nominated. Uh-huh. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. Okay, now here are two films that did not get nominated for Best Picture. One of them is a shock because it was nominated for like 11 Academy Awards. And it's oh, just, wow. a, it's a it's one of the ones that it, it got more nominees than any other film to also not receive a Best Picture nominee. And right. that was Sidney Pollock's They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Wow, interesting. Now, okay. come on. please. If you if you tell me you haven't seen They Shoot Horses, Don't I've They? I've seen it, yes. Because that, that movie's a masterpiece. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. That's great. So Not for, wow, not for 30 years, but I've no, seen I, it. No, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. it too, but it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and so that's a shock. And then a movie that I think you really don't like, and I've seen it several times in order to try to figure out how it even got nominated for best director, right. and I'm and I'm still like I I just come up empty, uh, is Arthur Penn for Alice's Restaurant? Oh yeah, that confuses me. I don't. I mean, I just I don't know. I think that they were in sort of this weird like it was the late '60s and counterculture was the thing, right? And so you know, it seemed to be the fad to to but nominate. It's just not that great a movie. It really isn't. It's just, I like I said, I've seen it a couple times because I'm trying to figure yeah. out why. <laughs> uh, 
I think you're right, though. It's just a product of the times. It's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting film, product of the times, but that's about it. Yeah. Okay. So, any any wrap-up thoughts on that? Uh, I got a couple of flicks to see. Yeah. So, I'm going to yeah. do this, not every week, but we've got the 70s, <laughs> okay, 80s, and yeah. I think it's just another segment. Of course, now you'll know it's coming. You just don't know when it's coming. Exactly. And I, you know, I'm not going to go do any research on this. That's the best part. See, if you, if it was reversed, you know, I would go off and do the <laughs> You would research. totally do, yes. <laughs> but you're not going to do the research. No, nope, I'm not doing, I'm not you're doing the like press. Yep. So, so I know that you're going to still be surprised when I <laughs> come out there. Okay. So, hey, uh, before we jump into the best of the decade, uh, I just want to let you know, we're going to take a quick little break. We have, believe it or not, we have our first paid advertisement. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, so I get to do a live uh, advertisement. We got, you know, I think it was actually because of last week, uh, last week's show, and I had had told people that they should reach out. So I actually, we got a sponsor that reached out, and uh, I'm going to do that. So you should just kind of silence yourself for a minute. We'll do it, and then we'll come on back. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry for the interruption, but, you know, we got to get paid. (laughs) And so if we got somebody that wants to pay us for an ad, we're going to do it, okay? Okay, you do the ad. Yep. Concerned about coronavirus? A lot of people are and wondering what they can do about it. Is hand sanitizer enough? What if supplies run low? Don't worry, there is another way. Introducing the Silkwood Shower Attachment from Kohler. A Silkwood Shower is proven to remove even the toughest plutonium pellet contamination and now the same luxurious scalding power wash is available for your home to combat the coronavirus. Simply lather up, remove your clothes, and turn on the virus-eradicating power of the Silkwood Shower. You're guaranteed not only to remove any exposure you may have to coronavirus, you won't find a trace of any virus on you at all. Look for the Silkwood Shower attachment in the bath section of Home Depot and Lowe's. Get your scald on today. Warning, Silkwood Shower Attachment may cause second-degree burns or harmful rashes. Do not use Silkwood Shower Attachment if you're pregnant, under the age of 15, over the age of 60, hard of hearing, worried about permanent skin damage, or have a heart condition. Wow. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, back to the show. (laughs) I'm so glad we have a paid advertiser now. Yeah. This is fantastic. (laughs) Yes, a little aside that that that, I, uh, I, that I, idea came to me while I was in the shower. I did mute myself during that so that I wouldn't interrupt it. <laughs> I knew you didn't want to miss a moment. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you for that. <laughs> did you think that it was going to be a real advertisement for a second? For a second, I actually did. Yeah, yep. For a second. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I thought it fit in with the the theme of the show. Yes, it you does. Know, that you know, it's a movie tie in there. Uh, so what are we doing? Top 10 of the decade? Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is an interesting thing. You said you had really struggled because you had like 17 or 18 titles or something. Yes. Um, and you know, it is, it, it, even, even when I say, you know, film is subjective, I'm even subjective on my own top 10. I, I it's hard for me to say these were, I think the 10 greatest films of the decade because, you know, not even every year, some of these movies weren't necessarily my number one of that year. Yeah, me too. And going through the, I mean, at the end of the day, I just had to do some like horse trading on, well, I'll keep this one in and that one goes into the like second 10 list or, you know, the top 20. 
And I mean, obviously, we're not going to we're not going to spend a ton of time on all ten, but we're going to pick a few from each person's list, and then what we did, like with the top ten list from a couple weeks ago, we'll then kind of count down. And you may yeah. not have them in an order. I don't even know if mine are in order, but I, I mine are not in order. But I will have sort of a best of the decade, which again, it's it's hard. Is that best of the decade? I don't look at it as like my favorite film of the decade, right? Because right. there's movies that are probably crappy movies that I've seen a whole bunch of times, and then and that you kind of, of love, yeah. yeah, and that some of these I've only even seen once in the theater, and that was right. it. But they had an impact, and I think there was just so many elements going for them. Right. So not only do I want to hear about like, a, you know, pick a you know a title yeah. and why you picked it, but I kind of also want to understand the experience of you seeing the film. And you may or may not have a great experience, but I feel like it has to play into things, right? Uh, I think it does on some of them, less so on others. Why don't you kick it off with the A title? It doesn't, you know, I don't care what order. Just pick a title and then tell me about it. Okay. I'm going to pick a really, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but this is a really obscure film. It's it's called Leviathan. It's from 2013. It's a documentary. Oh, you have this is the one where it's a lot of uh, just very long static shots on. It, well, they're on not a fishing static. Boat. They're they're moving shots. But it's like on a fishing boat. But it's and... on a fishing boat. They basically put cameras all over this fishing boat, right? And then edited it together in this way that it's kind of this. They call it sensory ethnography. Right, is, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So re- why is that on your top ten? Uh, I've never seen another film like it. But isn't it like a documentary, though? <laughs> it is, but it's it's so cinematic. Okay. You know, it's not a documentary where they're interviewing people or trying to convey information. They're trying to convey a sensation and an experience. I'm writing it down just because I, you know, we talk about these films and then yeah. I even forget. Now you just reminded me again. And we did talk about this. And... How did you, I forget the story of, did you see this in the theater? No, I saw it. It was on Netflix for a while and I just, I don't know, I stumbled upon a review of it or something. Okay. So it may be somewhere that streaming. It may be somewhere streaming. Yeah. It was on Netflix for a while and I recommended it to a couple of people. Uh, it's, it is just a pure cinematic experience of sound and image. Uh, it's almost like an abstract film at times. Okay, so well, now that you put it on your top ten for the decade, I, I gotta find my way into seeing this. I'm gonna put it on my own list of gotta uh, you see. Know, I should say it's not for everyone. It's it's definitely uh, you know it tries your patience at times. Well, I like the I call them paint drying movies where you know I don't mind sitting there sometimes and watching something that not a ton of stuff happens. Yeah, so basically it's because it's a pure cinema experience. Yes, it's a documentary, but it's not. Uh, it's not like other documentaries. It's not like any other film I've seen. Okay. Well, there's that. So that's, that's great is that there's a a lot of top 10 lists out there and I have not seen Leviathan show up on others and you're sure it's from the last decade. Uh, from 2013. Okay. So it counts. Okay. My, my first film that I'll mention is a very controversial pick. Okay. I don't think it's been on a single other person's top 10 list for the decade. And it was reviled at the time. And I went with my friend Brian. Uh, Whenever I go back to Boston, uh, sometimes he'll be able to see a film with me. And 
we were expecting the worst. I even told them, I said, don't get mad at me if this movie is horrible because because the reviews (laughs) say it's horrible. People are walking out. They think it's the worst movie of all time. So I put myself in the mindset of saying, how bad can this be? Right. And my friend also said, ah, dude, I don't care. And I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't, movies don't offend me, whatever. Right. So we sat in and what I got Instead, I thought was like, I'm like, this movie's a borderline masterpiece. And I think that in years, people are going to come around on this movie. And I don't know why they don't like this, but I love every second of this movie. And I even saw it a second time with my wife, also expecting that maybe I won't like it the second time. Maybe it won't have the same impact as when I saw it in the theater. But no, it still did. It held up. And that is a film we've talked about before, Mother by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, okay. So Mother is in my top 15. Aha. It it almost made it into my top 10. Very close. Yeah. Well, you did say you have like about, you know, 17 to 20 titles that really are jockeying. And and Mother, Mother really, I mean, I could trade out, I can think of a film right now I would trade out for Mother actually. Haha. Well, that's the thing is, you know what? So here's the thing is when you're trying to make these lists, it's easy to forget films. Yes, yes. And Uh, I do remember from the list that you submitted to that guy, you had it on there at the time. Yes, I did. And it made me think about, oh my God, I forgot about Mother and I have to make a place (laughs) for it. I have to. Yeah. No, I think it's a masterpiece. It could easily be on my top 10. There's no... Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, easily it would be on my top 10. Yeah. And I think that's the whole thing with these is that if these were movies were real passionate, but it's that, you know, it's like trading in one for another. It does. Exactly. It. This is just a, it's a fun show and it's fun to do a top 10. So, and it seems like people like them. I know that yes. a lot of people have people tuned like into our list. last one. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a list show. And, uh, so now, uh, throw me out another from your magical list of 10. Okay, my magical list of of obscure movies. I knew they were all going to be obscure, right? Or at least the ones <laughs> you're going to talk about. They're not all obscure, but this one, uh, I don't think anybody else really likes this movie, but I watched it, I've watched it several times, and this is a movie that just clicks for me personally. I okay. can't I can't really argue it's a great masterpiece or anything, uh, but I love the whole thing, Upstream Color. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the guy that also did... um, Primer. Yeah, and he's had a hard time. I was reading an article. He's actually almost out of the business. He's had a hard time making those types of movies because nobody will fund him. And I will admit that my wife was really excited to watch Upstream Color. Yeah. So we watched, but I half watched it, half was probably on my phone at the time. Right. It just didn't click for me. Yeah, and again, I can see it. It just clicks for me. That's that's what it comes down to. It. It's not an amazing cinematic masterpiece. I mean, it's good, but it, yeah. But basically, what it comes down to is the story clicks for me, and it's a pretty. Uh, I guess it's a pretty intellectual film. It's it's a ba- you know it's a philosophical film. You're a philosophical guy. And so if it, if it clicks for you on the intellectual level, great, but it's not like a really compelling story or something with super well-developed characters. It's just, it's an interesting thought experiment almost. And it gave me a lot to think about. And as soon as I was done watching it, I watched it a second time. I couldn't even barely get through it at one time and you watched it right away again. So that's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, I'll have to give it some thought about maybe watching it in the future. 
Yeah, I think. I mean, it's uh, again, like I said, I can't recommend it to everyone. I I understand why people don't like it, but for me, it clicks. Got it. Um, okay, so the next film on my list, and this is a director where he directed three movies in the past decade. Yeah, and. I think this is the best of the three, but it's almost the combination of the three that gives him a power spot in my top 10 uh-huh. because I feel like this guy is working at a level that uh, few others have. We almost tried to talk about him in full once and we got cut I, off. I'm, guess, I'm guessing which <laughs> film, I, mean, I, I could guess which film this is and I'll tell you it's on my top 10 list too. And we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Yes. And uh, like, and, and sort of in my, if I had to put in like that second tier roster, but like I said, it's the culmination that yeah. this guy, I had to pick his best film for the list, but I loved Phantom Thread and Inherent Vice is one of my personal faves that I've been championing since I saw it. And each time I watch it and I've seen it, I think four or five times now, yeah. I like it more. It just keeps growing on me. So The Master is a movie that I have seen in full one time. Okay. But I saw it in its run in 70 millimeter. Oh, nice. And it was exciting because it was the first film to be shot in 70 millimeter, a full length feature film that wasn't a documentary or some kind of nature thing since uh, Kenneth Branagh had shot Hamlet 96. Right, yep. So this was like exciting because the, the format seemed to be all but dead and he was able to get a few theaters to show it with actual prints of, of yeah. 70 millimeter. And what was more interesting is it's not a widescreen film. Right. It's a 185. And why he shot in that uh, format, it wasn't about, you know, he wanted a big aspect ratio, which throws a lot of people off. They think, well, 70 millimeters should be about this. <laughs> right. Well, it's a no, it's because the look of the 70 millimeter film stock is the closest that he could get to the look that he wanted to achieve, and which is why he also had Phantom Thread printed. Right, which is almost a Technicolor look he's going for. Yeah, and so the master has this composition of like, if you ever, if you were a portrait photographer yes. and, and you used to shoot 120 film, which was what they would shoot for right, weddings right, right. a lot of times, it actually has the look of 120 film. Yeah. And the framing and the close-ups are so close-ups. important to this movie more yes. than like any it, it, film... <laughs> that I've seen in the last 10 years. Absolutely. Well, it, it, it's a movie largely of portraits. So when you see the, the best example of how insane the 70 millimeter is in this movie is there's two scenes. There's the one where he's out in the desert with the motorcycle. Yes. Um, and that's just a, pretty cool. But the scene between Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix when they're, when he's doing the audit. Yes. It is so intense in 70 millimeter that it was just riveting. Like it's like a mesmerizing, you're hypnotized. It's like the best direction and acting and the performances are so enhanced uh, by the 70 millimeter and the facial expressions of Joaquin Phoenix. It just distorted and tormented. It's so great. Um, So it's just that movie left my, left, left a mark on me. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And I do think uh, that it is, uh, I I think it's a cinematic masterpiece. I think it didn't get quite the attention it needed to right off the bat, uh, but I think it's going to become a classic. 
I would agree with you. Um, so there's one that made both our list, and I think it's well-deserved. And now what about well, – give me another. Okay, another obscure film from <laughs> Well, I like that. So cause if because if a listener is hearing and then they you know they they know maybe some of these films, but they don't know, you know. They probably aren't going to know this one from 2011. Okay. <laughs> Early on deck. I I think I know what's coming cuz I'm I've been looking for it and I can't find it. Once upon a time in Anatolia. This is the one you've been you've been talking about it for a long time, and I yeah. just I look I have I have a list, and that's on the list, and I frequently will check for it on all the streaming channels, and it's not you know, I just can't find it. It is hard to find. It was on Netflix for a while. That's how I saw it initially. Again, I just stumbled upon a review that said you know this is really worth checking out. It's really interesting. Uh, the, the way this movie opens. It's like a, a, a wide shot of a road on a mountain. This car comes down and the car stops and people get out. And when I say wide shot, like the people are the, just like little tiny figures in this. It's a huge wide landscape shot and you hear their conversation. And so the film is made up of a lot of these really long shots. And it's about uh, a, a, it's about some cops, and uh, they have a suspect, and they're trying to find a dead body, and <laughs> and and that, and it's sort of uh, this weird journey that they go on for, and it's like two and a half hours long. Now, how did you come across this one? Yeah, I saw it on Netflix. Yeah, I, I had read a review, and then I saw it on Netflix, and uh, since I've sort of I've been trying to find this guy's other films. Hmm. Another one that he had that was on Netflix for a while from 2014 is called Winter Sleep. Never heard of it. Yeah, fantastic movie. Um, so anyhow, he's just uh, it, it, it's a tur- he's from Turkey. Nuri Bilge Ceylon is his name, and just doing some really interesting stuff. And again, this Once Upon a Time in Anatolia movie. I think it got good reviews. Uh, I don't really know, but uh, it clicked for me, and it's an experience. Uh, it again tries your patience a little bit but it's funny and weird and creepy and i I don't know it's worth watching i think you would uh get something out of it well like i said i've been wanting to see it i just can't find it um but it's interesting is so far the three movies you've mentioned are all films that you have watched at home yes you didn't see them in the theaters whereas so far the the two that i've mentioned i have seen in the theater most of the films on my list i have not seen in the not seen in the theater and that's so. That's interesting. It just shows you that a great movie, yeah. You know, to, to the the argument of well, I don't have to see it in the big screen. Well, no, you don't. Um, I think all the films on my list, with the exception of one, and it's ironic because the one that I haven't seen in the theater is probably the most big screen experience film right. that I haven't been able to see. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm a I'm a guy who's really purist. I try to go see these yeah. things. However, by not seeing these things in the theater, you end up searching out these interesting nuggets. I do. Yeah. When I think, you know, of course, having kids kept me out of the theater for the last decade. And having kids for the last decade did not keep me out <laughs> of the theater. It did not keep you out of the theater, but... It definitely uh, it <laughs> had know, some impact on my theater going, but yeah, I, I it's you're hard right. where you where you live. It, it legitimately it's there's not a, a lot of theaters. Yeah, there really aren't, and a lot of these films, I they would weren't just, playing any of those. That's they they were not playing. Yeah, but it, so I yeah, you're right. I have found some sort of obscure little nuggets. Although I've mostly been doing those so far. There's some coming up that I think are uh, 
people will have seen. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I'm going to throw out my next film. Yeah. And this is another case of a director who directed a few films in the past 10 years that I feel like this is the best of them. However, one of his three is certainly high up there and will probably grow in stature, I yeah. think, over the years as more people really discover it and think, oh, my God, this was a great movie. How did it get How did it get so shafted at Oscar time? Right. Um, as a matter of fact, this guy perennially gets shafted at Oscar time. And the one time that he uh, did win Best uh, Director, it was for probably one of his weaker movies. Um, <laughs> and this guy made a lot of films. Again, well, well, he's, he's getting up there. But instead of uh, weakening, like so Tarantino says, well, geez, you know, filmmakers, once they've hit like 70, they're not as good. Right. Except for maybe this guy. And I'm talking about Martin Scorsese. Yep. And in this decade, he did Hugo, which I thought yes. was a fantastic Great film. Movie. Um, he did The Irishman, which uh, we just had taught you with the, yeah. made our top tens. And then he did a film that just blew me away. Um, and this is when I saw it in the theater, and I just because it it's anchored by one of to me the great performance, and it's another case of Oscar didn't give him right. the due for the best performance he ever did, which was this film, DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Oh, so this is on your list, huh? This is one of my, yes, this oh, is on my this top is, 10. Okay, fantastic. I love yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street. I was like, it, it, it was to me vintage Scorsese yep. uh, doing all the things he does well and what he likes to explore these these flawed characters yeah. that you also have, somehow find yourself rooting for because they're so charismatic. Right, even though they're <laughs> they're more than flawed, yeah. And it just features, I mean, this insane before to me when i watched this film i was like this is dicaprio doing everything that he's like taken from every movie learned yeah. everything that he's ever done and he's put it into this role so what are we going to do we're going to reward him for the revenant instead right <laughs> in a couple of years because that was really the film it's like we couldn't give him that because we had to owe somebody else right but to me it's it's about the performance and I thought Scorsese, it, it was just great. And I've seen it a second time and I wasn't, I didn't love it as much as I did the okay. first time, but I still, it's just a movie I think about uh, how, how I felt when I watched it on the screen and just was like, I can't believe it. Scorsese is back. He can do yeah. the things. And so that was the first time I was reminded that, because Martin, you know, he went and did movies like Hugo and it was cool that he could do films that seemed not very Scorsese-like. Right, but this, but Wolf of Wall Street definitely is very, it's, it's vintage <laughs> Scorsese. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about this is you're kind of saying like that something about this movie clicked for you. Right. Right. And so much of the, these lists are coming down to not not us saying these are the greatest cinematic achievements of the decade, but yeah. these are the movies that clicked for us and stayed with us. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing. I'm the, when we get to like best of the year, it's fun to quibble about somebody that thinks Little Woman should have right. got Oscars rather than think about, well, was it really the best film of the year, which is what I yeah. try to do. But when it comes to the top 10 of the decade, eh, then it really gets into personal choices. It really does. Yeah, cuz there's so many great movies and Yeah. I mean, I haven't I, I haven't even seen a couple of your films, so how could I even say maybe right. I'll see them and my list would change and that's what I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, or you might see them and not like them at all, right? Because well, right. Uh, because I'm picking movies that are really appealing to me on some personal level. Yeah, like Upstream Color, I just know my experience was sitting on the couch and I know I didn't give it full attention, so yeah. it's really hard for me to say, "Oh, that was a terrible movie" because I know I just tuned out. I didn't give it the chance and I right. think if I saw it in the theater, I would have concentrated better on a film like that. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I don't even know if it played theatrically. Um, you know what? In a, in a market like when I was I was actually living in Massachusetts at the time, and I think it hit like some of those weird okay. indie theaters like in Cambridge. I think it okay. might have even shown at the Brattle. But uh, what do you got? What else you got for me? Hmm. Let's go with uh, now. This is a movie I really debated. Oh, uh, <laughs> I've got it, it, it. It's low down on my list, and it, it it's like the, <laughs> well, low down on top ten is still pretty good. <laughs> it's still pretty good, but it's like it's the one that I could easily trade out with, say, Mother. Okay, I'll I'll decide whether you should trade it out or not. And again, uh, what it is with this movie is for me, and I, yes, I saw it at home, but it was the experience of watching it. It's uh, under the skin. Interesting. You know, you're you're a real cahier du cinema guy because they <laughs> the the French love that movie. They think it's oh, really? one of the best. Oh yeah, yeah. That is definitely in the top ten for them. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, I saw it on video too because I think I had moved to where I live now and I would move out of Boston so I, I couldn't get to it and um, you know it's definitely an out there experience and I like yeah. it I don't know if it was my favorite film of even that year never mind uh, the decade but I don't I have I have nothing but admiration for you yeah. for liking it because it yeah. is like I mean it's just it's an alien type film of no other it, exactly and it, it is yeah it's like no other and I have liked Jonathan Glazer's films in the past yeah the few of them that he's done. I think Sexy Beast is great. He's got, an, he's got another one coming out soon. Oh, he does? I okay. think so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I really liked, I mean, it, this is again a movie that just was an experience for me and it's creepy and it's weird and it's... There's so many scenes that are just instantly come into my head that I remind, I mean, it's not a comfortable movie, that's for it's sure. It's not a comfortable movie at all, but it does stick with you. And, uh, you know, I think a great central performance that's interesting and compelling and I like the filmmaking. Yeah. Again, the movie, uh, it, it was an experience for me and that's for a lot of these movies. That's what I, that's what it comes down to for me is what was the experience of watching it? And was that experience challenging, moving, all those things, engaging in all these different ways and in ways that I don't expect a movie to challenge and engage me. Uh, there's certain movies where it's like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of know what I'm getting into with that. But with something like Under the Skin, it, you can't really prepare somebody for this movie. No. And I know a lot of people would not like it yeah. uh, for sure. It does, There's not a lot of dialogue in it. But that's another thing that makes it so cool is it's, uh, it relies on visual storytelling. Yes. And sound and music. Yes. Um, and it's great. And what a better – what a very interesting way to portray – kind of an alien, which yes. is Scarlett Johansson. Her performance, like you really actually buy her as some otherworldly You absolutely do, yeah. Figure. And I think the scene that is the most haunting, there's a couple, but the one that's most haunting and the most unusual is that scene in the water. Yes. Where people are drowning. Yes. And she just doesn't quite understand what's going on and she's kind of watching it with yeah. fascination. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, these are just not scenes you usually would get in a movie. Well, and that's, again, why it's on my list is these are, yeah, these are scenes you don't get anywhere else. This is a, it's a unique movie. Yeah. I mean, again, I applaud you because I only wish I had so many unique films on my list and I feel like <laughs> mine are, you know, a lot of them have been nominated for Best Picture or other right. things. Um, and I'm going to do, I guess, my last call out 
and yeah. then we'll get into our actual list with maybe just a few mentions. But my last call out is, and of course I'd like to call out all of them, but is uh, Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is a movie that I don't like. You don't like it? I thought you didn't no. even see it. No, I've seen it. I don't believe you. <laughs> I love this film. I've seen it so many times, but I but I had that experience seeing it in the theater. I I fell in love with it, and I felt that the way he has put films together, where everything's very precise, and yeah. the way his camera movements and stuff, I felt he finally had the right story to put all of that together. Right. And there's, uh, you know, we've, we use that term mise-en-scene. Yeah. I think it has some of the best mise-en-scene of any film in the past decade. I would agree with that. And so, you know, but again, it's also, he has an aesthetic and a style that some people don't like at all. And I do. So, uh, though I didn't like his um, Isle of Dogs. That was the only movie he's ever made that I didn't like. I did not see that. And I generally like Wes Anderson. And again, for Grand Budapest Hotel, what it comes down to for me is uh, all those things you're saying. I mean, the cinematography is great. The the production design is great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the movie. I just didn't fall in love with it. Hmm. Well... There's a flaw for you, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but again, that's you know my own personal thing. Uh, but I, I, I I'm glad it's on your list. I think it's a uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good choice. Hmm. Yes, I can hear you seething and frothing <laughs> to tell me what a bad movie is. But that's okay. No, I I don't think it's again. I think it's it, like every now and then there's a movie like, like Marriage Story, you know, where it's like oh that's well. A, yeah. It's a good movie, but it just doesn't work for me. Well, it worked for me, buddy. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now what I want you to do is reveal your whole list. And if there's any, like, you can really just briefly mention anything that, like, oh, it's not on your list, but you wanted to make, you know, just a, a quick case for it. But leave off your, what you feel is your, 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 your best of the decade. Even if you can't fully commit to it being your best, you have to pick one of those movies as your best, but don't, we're going to save that to the very end. Okay. Um, oh man. And you well, can just we, recapture, you know, you've, you've mentioned some, but just give me your full list. Okay. So uh, under the skin, upstream color, one I hadn't mentioned before is Margaret. The, the director's cut, correct? The director's cut. We could probably spend a whole bunch of time for people who don't understand what that is. I have not seen the director's cut. I've seen the regular cut and I enjoyed it, but it was nothing fantastic for me. How did you see the director's cut? I found it. <laughs> okay. I, all right. You found all right, all right. So you found it, but the, you know, why, what was it? Is it because of the cachet of this thing that is why you like it so much or what, what briefly, what did you like about it? Okay. I like the original cut. Okay, so you've seen it. You've seen both cuts. I've seen both cuts, and I do like the original cut. I think the director's cut is better, um, but I still think the theatrical cut is not bad. For me, this film was emotionally devastating. I was interesting, really caught up in the performances and the characters. Uh, it's a very dialogue-heavy movie. <laughs> you know, it, it's not about the the cinematography or the production design in this. That's all really simple. The camera essentially lets the actors have their breathing room, and the editing does too. And it really lets the actors take this movie. And Anna Paquin's performance, uh, to me, was devastating. Yeah. And, and did I, you ever uh, distract a bus driver? Is this where we're going? <laughs> I did not, but you know, it's just such. It, yeah, she distracts the bus driver, and it's such a small thing. And then this woman, it, it, this woman dies, and well, maybe that the longer version gives you more time to understand the devastation she's feeling. 
I I think that's absolutely it. Yeah. Because this this version, you don't, you know, you have, they have to truncate stuff, so you don't really quite understand what she's going through, the guilt that she's feeling. Quite honestly, it's more about does she need to get justice? Exactly. For, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, continue. I know we want to. We, we want to. We should dive into that too. But you, we have to keep going on with the list. So, have you seen Margaret? I saw the original, and I I thought it was a good movie, but I didn't. Uh, it, it was not any best of for me, but right. I didn't see okay. the full version. So, but you did like it. Yeah. Uh, Parasite. Wow, that that's already on your best decade. Okay. Yes. Maybe too soon for that, but okay. It may be too soon, but oh yeah, that's right. You weren't available last week because I was like, you must be devastated now that it won Best Picture because now it's like somehow diminished its power. It it has it has diminished its <laughs> power. When I, I was a little devastated by that, I gotta say, and and it actually I almost didn't put it on my list because of that. Because of that, yeah. I'm down to my top three now. Okay, well give me those two. Okay, Tree of Life. Okay, so Tree of Life is not on my best of. However, yeah. and actually, I don't. I, it was it was in my top ten for that year, but it wasn't even the best. However, I own the director's cut on Criterion, and yeah. I stopped watching it after one hour. It's a three-hour cut. I stopped watching it because it was so amazing, so powerful that I felt I shouldn't be watching this alone. I got to watch it with my wife because she's going to be right. blown away. And when we get busy and haven't gotten back to it, and I wanted to try to get to it again just to see, right. but I am telling you. What he was trying to achieve in the regular cut, which you already find is one of the best yeah. of the decade, it, 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 it's unbelievable what this director's cut is. You you got to buy it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I will. I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, this film, to, to me, again, like a lot of the films on my list, it's uh, it's an experience. Yeah, and I got to see it when I saw it opening day in the theater. I couldn't wait. Yeah. And uh, that it, it really is kind of an experience. Yeah. It's funny, the style of this film he does in his subsequent movies, and they don't work any single time, but no. they do in this movie. I don't understand why. Yeah, same same kind. Well, there's something- There's a little uh, bit more of a story in this. There's much more of a story there. Some of those other films, yeah, really don't have a story. This actually kind of has a plot. There's something about, I think- what went into the production of this movie that somehow separates it out from those other ones, which don't seem, they're not big on production design or things like that. They're just like people walking around and hugging each other and holding hands and the camera zooming, swarming around them. You got to see this director's cut. Okay. It's just so fantastic. So one of the things I like most about this movie is that it takes the form of memory. And watching it is like the experience of remembering. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big guy who likes memory movies yeah. and dream movies, and this is kind of a common. It is very kind of dreamy. A and yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it the form of it is actually memory, and you know, so much of it is shot from this low angle, which is kind of the kids' point of view. Yep. I don't know. It's a, to me, it's it's kind of a magical movie, and I don't know what the hell is wrong with Terrence Malick since then. Well, I haven't seen The Hidden Life, and that is going to yeah. definitely be when it hits streaming. I'm going to watch it. And he's got this other film that he's prepping that is got, I don't know, it's something, some Bible thing. And that's okay. going to be maybe they're, they're saying the end of this year, but I'm like, you mean the end of 2024? Right. Uh, okay. And then you have one <laughs> he's more. He's just cranking them out now, though. I know. Well, he doesn't have that much time left. He's in his mid 70s. You have one more before your best of? Yes, I have one more. All right. What's that? Cold War. Okay, Cold War. Well, we've talked about that. We've talked about it a lot, yeah. And, and we, we talked about it a lot on an episode that got erased, so. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> but it, but uh, anyways, I'm going to go to my top nine, and then we're yeah. going to talk about our, our two, you know, best of the years. Uh, Mother, yep. Darren Aronofsky, Cold War, 
No kidding. Yes. And this is what's interesting is it wasn't, it was like my number three of last year. But yet it's just a movie that over time, it's just so good. It's so good. And I think it holds up to repeated viewings. I think people will be Well, that's the thing is I saw it a second time and I was like, you know what? This is just, it is as good as I thought it was. Yeah. And then also, you know, just again- didn't make my top 10, but if I had seen the full version of the director's cut of Tree of Life, I'm pretty sure it could end up being the best of the decade. Right. And uh, also just outside that top 10 was Roma, um, okay. which of course you refuse to see. Uh, right. Okay. So anyways, on my top 10 continued. This one, I, I feel like it's almost like an, I feel like it's it's actually a great movie, but it's somewhat diminished just because it even won best director. Right. And I do know people that loathe it. But I don't care. It's about the experience. Is La La Land, uh, Damien Chazelle? Okay, La La Land was in my uh, in, in my shout out category. Yes, I know. At one point, it was in your top ten in your early edition. But uh, I really the experience I had watching it. It was a very emotional one. Where I yeah. actually started out. I saw it in the theater, and I started out the first ten minutes. I remember. I'm like, I don't think this is working for me. I'm not sure I'm getting it. And right. I think this movie is going to be a failure. All of a sudden, Ryan Gosling kicks in. The movie just got into a different level. And I think a movie like this hinges on whether you buy the relationship or not. And you totally do. I got sucked in and I was emotional. And I I know this is going to sound really goofy, but there were many spots in the movies. I had tears streaming down my face and so did my wife. And that's the power of this movie. It just, it it got me. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize. (laughs) <laughs> I understand. I just, I also loved what it was like the best romance films. It did not have an easy ending. No, it has a great ending. Yeah. You know, the ending took me a while after I saw it. And I liked the ending right from the beginning. The beginning, though, took me a while, and then I liked it on further viewing. So. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah, no, the ending took me a, a couple of days to sort of think about it before I realized just how good it was. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, and I'm only doing that because we only have limited time. I also have a puppy who's sleeping right now. But and as soon as he wakes up, the show's over. Um, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. And I no think kidding. Okay. this is the best of the three movies he made this decade, but I loved all three. I loved Django yes. Unchained until it went to Bridge Too Far. And that mostly was like because it added on another ending and he should have yeah. he should have uh, rewritten it so that it wouldn't have even had to been an editing issue. Um, so it, Wait, that's it was all, an editing issue? Well, no, meaning that it, a good editor would have suggested you cut out some stuff, but the way it was written, right. it would have been confusing. So yeah. what I'm saying is, is it created an editing issue that he couldn't solve. That he couldn't solve. Because he ended up not wanting to cut his own writing. <laughs> right. So I think that the- So you end up with like an extra 15 minutes on the movie that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. So if it had been, so if the end part, even though I enjoyed the heck out of it, if they had fixed the last part of the act, uh, it could have definitely been in my top 10. Hateful Eight's a movie that I am a big proponent of. A lot of people don't like it. I think it's just, I think it's just people feel like they have to bash Tarantino for something. (laughs) And I, I am, I love this film. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the movie that surprised me the most because I started off not liking it that much and I just couldn't get out of my head. And so again, it's the power of three. It's on my top 10. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I mentioned, The Master, then number Four, which again, you know, numbers, uh, Mad Max Fury Road by George uh-huh. Miller. And that's the one film I didn't get to see in the theater. 
Uh, what? We, we were just moving to the area <laughs> we are now. I had the little kids. I couldn't just get out. And I had a feeling that the crappy town theater wouldn't be the right place right. for it. And I was really wanting to see it like in IMAX and stuff, and I couldn't. So as soon as it became available, I actually, I think we just made an invest. I said, uh, I either watched it and then bought the Blu-ray. I think it's the first time that I liked okay. it so much I bought the Blu-ray. I turned it on and I it was by myself and I watched five minutes of it and my jaw dropped and I'm like, I've never seen anything more. And so how could this guy pick, <laughs> pick up the insanity of the road warrior and somehow capture it all these years later, like have the same sort of film style and everything. Yeah. And yet this is, he's taking every technology available to him. And I had to shut it off. And I said, uh, I said to my wife, we, we were watching this thing and it just <laughs> was so great. And it has such a great, the like the the theme of the story and, and, and the motifs and the story itself, which a lot of people think there's no story. There's a great story. There's a great story. And the thing that's great about the story for me and I since we're here I'll just say this is my number one see you, you don't know how to do the show I, yeah, but, I know you. You, you gave it away. You're, I know you're probably. You know why? Because you're like, oh my god, he's going to think people are going to think that I didn't like it because it's not on my. I didn't no, mention it no, yet. No, but no, it's, no, no. I was just saying. Since we're talking about it, we might as well talk about it. I shouldn't hold back. It, it, and this is the again the power. The movie is so powerful and so great that even though I haven't seen it in the theater, it's so it's amazing. Yeah, I have. I saw it in the theater on opening day. Was completely blown away by it. But the thing I was going to say about the story is that so much of the story is told without dialogue, and this is, I think, why people thought it didn't have a story. Is it's because visual storytelling. It's visual storytelling, and so much of this movie is told sort of in a glance or through body language, or actually, the the action itself is not just action. The action has story in it and purpose. And yes, and yes. And I love, I think a lot of, so the, the, some of the knocks that people have, the people who just don't understand movies is that they go one way and then they have to go all the way back. I'm like, that's <laughs> right. the genius of it. That's exactly what's brilliant and about it. And then there's yeah. actually a payoff at the end. Like they actually, the climax is at, is the beginning, you know, in a sense. Yes. And another thing that people I think really struggle with uh, that don't like the movie, but I love is they're like, well, Mad Max isn't really the, the star of the movie. Why is it called Mad Max Fury uh, Road? I'm like, that's the genius. He's the MacGuffin. You, yeah. you go in with a Mad Max movie and he's a side character in a yes. sense. He's not a hero. He's not. A, I mean, that, but if you think about it, he's always been that in these movies. He has always been that. The yeah, Road I, Warrior. He's hardly in the movie. <laughs> It, well, exactly. Yeah, he's not. He's always kind of the MacGuffin. Um, so, anyway, we, we will. I guess we'll get to talk about Mad Max again in a second when we do our number one. So, uh, continue on my list is Grand Budapest Hotel. We we talked about that, and then the second film to the highest for me is uh, a movie that I don't. I, I I feel like you've never really opened your mouth when I've mentioned it. So I right. think you don't like it, and I can understand maybe why you don't. But I because I don't like this. I don't usually like this filmmaker's movies. Okay. Or I should say I don't really love them and sometimes I hate them. Right. But this to me is the guy taking everything he does well and he put it together for one movie that I felt is pretty flawless. And I've also read the book and uh -huh. how he translated the book. Well, he didn't write the screenplay, but uh, that is The Social Network. Oh, yeah. It was a movie when I saw it. I, I remember did, uh, you love this movie. And yeah, I... I, uh... I wasn't expecting... 
that, that was going to have this impact. I, I thought, oh, they're making this story about the guy on Facebook, right? That's the that's right. the surprise that you go in and it's it's just – it works at a different level than most movies work and it's because of Fincher. I agree that it's because of Fincher. I think my – I think Aaron Sorkin bugs me. I, I understand that. I think this is also Aaron Sorkin working at his best because I saw when he tried to direct his own movie, Molly's Game, and it was not good at all, in my opinion. Did not work, yeah. But I can understand, like, so I'm going on the initial impact I have. Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. it many times. And, you know, once you've seen it, like, I find that I don't end up usually watching the last, like, half hour of it. Oh, interesting. Uh, you okay. know, but I mean, it dro- but I'll drop in on this movie. And... I love I love the music by uh, Trent Reznor. Yes, uh, yeah. That that's just there's just so much I like. Plus, it's also I think believe it or not, it's turned out to be one of the most important films. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that it's one of those movies that kind of is about the decade in a way. Yes, and <laughs> and, and Fincher did this once before. With what? Fight Club. Oh, I, yeah, I, I guess it, 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 on retrospect, not at the time because it was a bomb at the time. but Right, but in retrospect, Fight Club is like the movie of the 90s. Right, a lot of people point to. So I actually think that if you think about it, right, the social network came out only a few years after like Facebook was becoming this big phenomenon. Right. But I think if you really look at the film and you go, wow, look what, you know, look where we're at now. Right. So I actually think this is the movie that I want a sequel to. Oh, that! Oh, that! I be want great. a sequel to it because the story does not end. No, there. it definitely does not end. Yeah. There. So, I mean, to me, again, top ten. I mean, is it like my all-time favorite? Like, I have a lot of movies that are my favorites more than the Social Network. I think but, it's a good choice. I think it's a great choice. And actually. again, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people put it on there. But, anyways, those are nine. And you've already revealed your number one. So do you have any last things to say on Mad Max Fury Road? Which I, I, I mean, again, I don't disagree with it. I mean, I think that it's actually a little ballsy. And I like that you have the balls to put that in your, in, in My your number, number one. one. Spot. Well, I just think that on so many levels, this movie works, right? It, like, it's not just, yeah, I guess you could say. I would say the, there's not a single flaw in the movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's not a single flaw in the movie. It is an incredible experience. It's a masterpiece of editing. I mean, probably one of the best edited films. It won best editing at the Oscars, and rightfully so, but it should have won best picture and director, in my opinion. It absolutely should have. And yeah, so maybe it is a little ballsy to put it up there because it's not like drama or, you know, but it it does a lot of things that... It's pure entertainment. It's pure entertainment, and it's also pure cinema. It's not... There's no other action film like it. Yeah, I have no problem with this number one choice of yours. So I I would say to the people who uh, didn't like it, they're wrong. I I don't want to know those people, quite honestly. (laughs) Well, no, but that's how I feel. Like, I I saw it. I I took a whole bunch of people, like 15 of us, went to see it on opening day. That's cool. There was definitely that one guy who was like, "Uh, but they just go there and then they turn around and go back. That's no story. And you're like, walk away. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I just wanted to take him and shake him. Did you see the <laughs> same movie I did? Uh, that's called Shaken Fury Road Syndrome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, here's my number one. And I don't think you've seen this movie. And this is what's shocking to me yeah. that you didn't see this film. Now, my history with this is this is why it's so shocking that you haven't seen this movie uh-huh. is because you were the very first person to tell me about this movie. 
Oh, funny. Okay. You told me, and you have a way, uh, and this would be, I guess, when we used to like, you know, talk on the phone and stuff. Right. You had a way of telling me something that didn't sound like it could possibly be true, <laughs> and it was. So years ago, you told me that director Richard Linkletter was making this movie where yes. he was following around uh, some actors and he was going to film for like a few days or a few weeks every year. Yeah. And that he was going to follow this boy uh, up until like he was 18. Right. And so, you know, this is a lot, this is like early 2000s when, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. when you told me. And then so finally- Oh my God, this movie was finally going to come out, <laughs> you know? And right. so many things could go wrong, by the way, when you do a film like that, where, you know. Oh, it could, a, could be a total disaster. Yeah. An actor could die or this and that. As a matter of fact, his daughter was so angry that she was never in any of his movies. When she was little, she wanted a role in the movie. Oh. But then she got, over the years, got sick of being in it and asked if he could kill her off. <laughs> and he's like, no, and you have to be this. And so some of the segments, she's not in it that much and other right. things because she just didn't want to participate because it's a real commitment. You have to get commitment from yes. all these actors and, you know, his frequent collaborator, Ethan Hawke. Yes. And then Patricia Arquette. Um, and then this boy, which I don't remember his name. And so I go to see this film and I, I remember the the one knock that some people had on it is it, it, almost universally everybody said this is the most amazing movie, but it, people right. wanted to critique it. So they said, it is the most amazing movie they've ever seen. However, it's an experiment, right? right. <laughs> so it was almost like it couldn't count because they couldn't trust what right. they saw was such a great moving experience. And I, I, I say, well, yes, it's an experiment that could go so completely wrong. And yet he turned this into such a powerhouse. Yeah. And you talked about, this is sort of me, my Margaret, because right. I had this emotional experience. I f recognized moments in this kid's journey that I could relate to in my own right. journey growing up. There's a magical, there's a couple of scenes and I, and you haven't seen this movie. Right. So I can't, I don't want to spoil them, but there are a couple of moments that happen in the film that take me completely by surprise. And that's what the genius of this is, is that right. he, he would like have a year to go to write and come up with the ideas and the characters. It wasn't like just filming a documentary. He right, wrote, right, he wrote right. the whole wrote screenplay. But different different things happen in a year just in historical stuff. So like what happens is the characters actually take on a journey that resembles life. Right. And they have like actual complete arcs. And there are some segments when, you know, every year that there's some real struggles going on. But then, you know, by later in the movie, you realize that life is about struggles and you overcome them. Right. And sometimes you just look back and it's like, well, that's life. And it's the closest I've ever seen of a movie that really captures, hey, this is what living is about. It's that journey right. and things. And there's something that happens. Uh, Patricia Arquette probably gave, I think, one of the top five acting performances of the whole decade. Right. She got a, an Oscar for her performance. And it's so good because she's a character who's – she's flawed. She makes yeah. mistakes. She's a single mom. And e Ethan Hawke also gave a remarkable performance because you actually see growth in the characters. 
They become different people over the years. So not only does this kid age and you see his age because he's just, you know, boy, he's a boy who goes through adolescence. So you actually see him physically transform. You don't see that as much in Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. But their characters mature in ways that the younger version of them would never believe they were going to grow up to, to be responsible and, and figure right. things out. And so there's a, a, a scene that happens. Uh, it's a very innocuous scene at one point in the movie, and it's just a scene, and you don't think yeah. it, it should have any meaning whatsoever into the story. And then much later, something comes back from that scene, oh. and you are as surprised as the character is. Right. And it's a moment that this was a moment that meant nothing, it seemed, in the whole story. Right. It wasn't like a beat. It was that a you throwaway. Think. Yeah. It seemed like it might have been, except for the Richard Linkletter knew better. And right. when it comes back with the same actors in the scene, et cetera, it has such a, promo- a profound impact on Patricia Arquette's character. But it also has, like, I mean, I almost, my jaw was dry and I almost had tears in my eyes because it's like, this is, I'm watching something very special. So to me, it was like, you know, the movie I'm going to pop in a thousand times and right. watch. No, but it, it, it took me through a journey that was very personal and it reminded me of the power that a movie can actually give you that's unique from other experiences. Yeah. And it just, it, it really deserves a place in film history. And it's a movie that I still can't believe did not win Best Picture that yeah. year. Instead, it was Birdman, which, as you know, it was not anywhere near my top 10 for the decade. No, me neither. No, no, Birdman, definitely not on my. But I think, you know, uh, a lot of people feel this way about boyhood. I, I, think you, it's, it's, I don't know a single person who doesn't like it. Anybody yeah. who's seen it, they may not love it as much as I did, but it's hard to not like it because it is just a great film. And yeah. why I'm so surprised that you didn't see it because <laughs> you were the one who was the most excited yeah, about yeah. it years ago when he was going to do this. Well, it's yeah, it's definitely it's one of the best reviewed films of the decade. I but think. then why haven't you seen it? Uh, I, I don't know. That, well, I'm just I mean, <laughs> but, but, but something must be keeping you from wanting to watch this. Well, here's what it is. You know, you you were saying this is like your Margaret, right? right? Which is basically a movie that takes you on some sort of intense emotional journey. I'm not always up for that. Yeah, but I would say though, this is what what I was worried about was because some of the there's there's some of the year moments, right? Because it's, yeah. it's really like snippets in a year, like it focuses on a year and then there's right. like a, a stuff. Some of it's very intense, but. I never felt like the whole movie was that way. I think Richard Linkletter, again, was when I look at really best direction, right. he's able to find a real balance so that you can enjoy yourself and that you all you start to know the rhythm that whatever's happening in this segment, if you find it uncomfortable, it's just that segment and okay. now you're going to be a right. year later. And that's a nice device is that each year you're getting different things happening. Right. Whereas Mar- in Margaret, every scene is uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's funny is I didn't find it as uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you one little aside and maybe get you to watch this show yeah. because it's so good is the actress who plays uh, the mom. Right. She's an interesting uh, character actor and she has a great role in the HBO show Succession. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to watch that. Yeah. She's an interesting character there. And I remember watching her character in Succession. I'm like, where do I know this person? She's really good. And then I looked her up and I was like, oh, she's the mom in Margaret. And I really liked her in Margaret. 
Margaret. I love Margaret. You love Margaret. Um, I, I, well, I, I think this was interesting because I think we got to talk about a lot of movies that we really haven't spent a lot of time talking about yeah. since we started the show because, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, kind of the new current movies and things. Exactly. And these were films that we saw over the decade. So I, I hope people have enjoyed that. And I'm hoping that maybe it uh, gets you to want to check out a title or two from our lists. Um, or if you maybe have disagreements, uh, you can send those comments to feedback at stuffweseen.com. Uh, and uh, last week I mentioned uh, feedback at jimandteal.com. I, <laughs> I think you can also get us there, but uh, I was checking in again because afterwards I was like, I wonder if people, nobody's responding. So right. I wonder if people are just aren't responding or did I get give the wrong URL? And it is feedback at stuffweseen.com. You can use that. But, uh, you know, give us some of your favorites. Uh, I think what we like to hear is like the movies that nobody would consider at all. Those are always fascinating. And that's exactly. And I've got a few of those in my bigger list, but. Well, okay. Well, we we do have to go, but luckily since you cut out a bunch of times, some of this (laughs) will actually be cut out of the show. So just just throw me some titles as we get ready to leave uh, of movies that didn't quite make your list. Uh, The Rider. Oh, that was great too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that certainly would be in the, definitely where, and that also that Paul Schrader movie that I saw, uh, First Reformed. Uh, First Reformed. Yeah. That was actually my best film of last year, but they yeah, somehow didn't put it in my top 10, but yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal movie. Holy Motors, which I think you did not like, but I, I really I, like. I think you need to relook at that and go, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> Because <laughs> it doesn't, it's, 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 it, you know, another Cahiers du Cinema film. <laughs> they, they really like that, which of course was bought out by a conglomerate. So everybody quit. So I guess the oh, Cahiers. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Like a corporation bought it and they had all these ideas for, for how they were going to change it. And basically everybody associated with the Cahiers <laughs> du Cinema. And that's so French. They just quit. And I love it. But uh, yes, they, uh, they also had in their top 10 uh, Holy Motors. Okay. Yeah. I like that film. I understand uh, why you don't. I like the I like the very end of the movie. I thought it was pretty funny, um, and I do like. I mean, it's intriguing, and I like it. But I also think that it, when we talk about experiment, I think it's just a gimmick, and there is not really any meaning. And at the end, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, it didn't add up to a whole lot for you. Well, I think it's another picaresque type film, though. It is. It is a picaresque. Yeah, which me- means that it's kind of episodic. It doesn't have a lot of story. Well, here's what you know. Now we're going to now we're going to just make a longer <laughs> show. Uh, is that there's a film and we're going to talk about it. Maybe the next time we get on, because uh, we're going to need something to talk about, because there's just nothing playing in theaters. <laughs> and and now the one movie I was looking forward to, No Time to Die, <laughs> that's been delayed because <laughs> of the coronavirus. So we don't even have that. So uh, there's a film you mentioned. Like last year when uh-huh. we did the episode on um, Sorry to Bother You. Yes. And you said uh, this Lindsay Anderson film, Oh yes. Lucky Man, uh, Malcolm McDowell. And it's a weird piece of like not quite a trilogy, but it's called the Mick Travis uh, trilogy. Yeah. If, if. And Oh Lucky Man and Britannia Hospital. I'd seen the other two, but I had not seen Oh Lucky Man and it's very hard to find. And it is a picaresque. Yes. Movie. But what I also like, it's not just episodic. It has this weird thing. It's, and it's which you just mentioned how like dreams, you know, how dreams just kind of you're suddenly in something from another thing and you're not quite sure how you got there. Right. That's what happens. This it's a linear journey and he keeps getting into different things. And then <laughs> at some point, because it's like three hours and I'm two hours into it, you're like, how did he get from A to where you are now? And you right. can't, it's, and it's hard to find it, the lines. And I love that. Yeah. Well, that, I don't know. That's, you're right. Holy Motors is a similar structure. 
And it's well, you know, I mean, well, it's maybe better structured in a sense because it's got a very specific thing. But like, you know, it's these journeys, and that by the end, you're like, wait a minute, how do we get? To, how do we get how do to we the? Get how do we get to those limousines at the end from what yeah. we were at the beginning? And it, yeah, so you're on a journey, and uh, and it's not as necessarily you know plot as it is. It's not plot at all. I mean, Holy Motors to me, it's just there's some sequences in it that are just uh, that just delight me. I guess yeah. is the way to put it. That that whole bit with the photo shoot. Oh yes, and yeah, and the kidnapping and yes. <laughs> and, and then going into the mausoleums and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I well, the catacombs. That. Yeah, I love that sequence. Yeah, right. It's it's a very uh, it's a weird it's a weird movie, and uh, I mean, I certainly recommend for those who listen to the, and like the weird stuff that we mentioned. You got to check out Holy Motors for sure. <laughs> yes, it's weird. Um, you know, and I mean, I guess I could dig up the most bizarre films I've seen in the last decade list, but I don't have that on in my my hands. Uh, so this uh, was it's, the, fun, it's funny you mentioned. Sorry to bother you though, because that was lingering around in my in the top, in your top. You didn't even have it in your top. Well, we didn't do a top ten last year. You no, we didn't. I, I put one out on uh, written on our yeah. site, but I we didn't talk about it. And I think it's been much more fun, it, it, much more engaging. So I'm glad that we actually were able to get to a lot of the titles yeah. for this year. And uh, oh, which, by the way, I've seen a few uh, other films that we were thinking that could have made our top 10 and they right. certainly are not going <laughs> to. Certainly make, not uh, like yeah, Jojo I, Rabbit. I, uh, well, no, I mean, Jojo Rabbit wasn't bad, but I mean, I saw this movie that I had on my list of wine to see was uh, The Current War. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, um, we can talk about that another time. That that's a interesting movie that's pretty flawed. But uh, okay, but I also saw. <laughs> I don't think I told. I don't think I told you this. Um, so on the airplane when I was in California, uh-huh. uh, they have this cool thing now where even if you're not, if you don't have the Wi, if you don't pay for Wi-Fi, right. they have a way that you can uh, stream yes. their programming content right into your phone. Yes. And they give you a lot of movie options now. So wait, you watched a movie on your phone? Well, I mean, it was it was that of the airplane screen, <laughs> right? So yeah, well, I watched The Current War. And then I figured this, I didn't want to watch anything too good. So you know what right, I watched? Right. And I, I know I, the only reason was because I was like, I'm in an airplane. I have to watch an right. airplane movie. I watched Downton Abbey. The movie. The movie. And I have a unique perspective because I've never watched a single frame of Downton Abbey. And so I've watched it as, as like it was the most bizarre fan service movie for like, a you know, an upstairs downstairs drama. It was ridiculous yeah. and hokey. And uh, it just really doesn't hold up very well as a movie. Um, but, you know, I just. You've just described my feelings on the show. On, on Downton Abbey? Have you watched it? I watched the first three or four episodes, oh. and I found it hokey and ridiculous and uh, corny, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I, 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 I find The Crown much more interesting show okay. to watch. I haven't seen that yet. But anyway, but... now we're way out. Now we're just killing time, and, we, and, and like literally time. <laughs> People are like, you're killing my time that I'm let's listening wrap, to. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, but this is fun. And uh, again, I don't know what we're going to do the next episode, but uh, you know, send us uh, send us some suggestions because like I said, there's nothing. we're not going to have seen any new movies in the theater, that's for sure. No, definitely not. Nobody's going to the theater for the next few months. All right. Well, it's, yeah, that's right. Well, it's good to have you back. You mean the next, you know, I might have to do the show again because you might be called back into duty. It, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you kept the cough under control. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and thank you to our sponsor, Kohler, yes. uh, you know, for uh, the Silkwood shower attachment. I'm sure it's going to be a uh, well, uh, well-purchased product in the weeks to come. <laughs> All right. Uh, talk to you later, TLC. Bye-bye. Oh, sorry.